the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to this 820 AM The Word broadcast special, Heart of the City. Pastors, ministry leaders, and churches have received a call to serve their communities with the love and compassion of Christ. The call is from God's heart to the heart of the city. This is Heart of the City. I'm Chuck Olmstead, the Director of Local Ministry Development for 820 AM The Word. I have a special guest today. His name is Pastor Ben Dixon. He's now the senior pastor at Northwest Church here in Federal Way. Ben, welcome to Heart of the City. Glad to be here. Well, you and I have had a chance to uh, chat for a few minutes before recording, and you've got a lot of great things to share. For many years, Pastor Steve Shell was on the air with Life Lessons on 820 AM The Word. And Pastor Steve has uh, moved on in his seasons of life and uh, is now living in Arizona, and you are now the senior pastor. So we're going to talk about that in a few minutes, but I'd love for our listeners to get to know uh, you and who you are. Ben, did you grow up here in this area? Tell me a little bit about your background. I did, yeah. I grew up in uh, Juanita, sort of Kirkland-Bothell area um, for the majority of my childhood, and then Bothell, downtown Bothell area and really just around the north end of Seattle almost my whole life yeah. until now, being a federal way. So you graduated from high school? Yep. I uh, went to Bothell, and then I graduated from Chrysalis Independent Study. And so it's kind of like a, just a, it's an independent study school that you, mm-hmm. that some go to, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. right around the area. Tell me about your life growing up. Was your family come from a family of believers? What was your spiritual formation like? Mom and dad were hippies back growing up and and they actually became Christians by watching Billy Graham on the television. My dad gave his life to Jesus by watching a program where where Billy Graham gave an invitation. My mom came into the room, did the same thing. So both of them became Christians, came out of that hippie lifestyle and right into the Jesus people movement. Mm. They were baptized in the power of the Holy Spirit and then as they had us as children, I'm the youngest of 3. They raised us to be Christians. We went to a community church, a vineyard church growing up. Um, my dad developed a real estate business and got busy. So we were kind of like a a Christian home, but we went to church a few times a month. Um, not a lot of discipleship in the home, but it was a good home. And so I had a good upbringing, but it was uh, it was not fully what you might consider a discipleship home. Like my dad tells me today, you're doing a better job <laughs> than I did. But yeah. yeah, it was a good, it was a good home growing yeah. up. Yeah. Well, so tell me about uh, how you then came to faith in Jesus. Was mm-hmm. it uh, something that happened when you were really young? Was it a, a crisis in your teenage years? Or talk to me sure. about that. I mean, I'm sure when I was young, I prayed with my dad or my mom. I, I can't quite remember that, to be honest with you. So I never consider that part of my salvation story. When I was 12 years old, uh, basically when I was a kid, I was made fun of a lot. I had a lot of problems and pain as a result of that at school and this this stuff. It's a long story, but just to say, it sort of drove me to want to numb my pain. So when I was 12, me and a friend got into drugs and alcohol and 
Uh, my older siblings did as well. And so that's sort of the sad part of the story. And that actually got worse and worse and worse and worse. And to just summarize it, it got to the point where, you know, you look in the mirror as a young man, as a 19 year old, and I'm, I don't even know how I got to where I got or why I became who I became. And for a three month period of time, when I was 19 years old, my dad started engaging me again. And I remember I'd walk in the house, he'd be crying because he knew that I wasn't following Jesus. Something sparked in his heart and, and my mom as well to begin praying for me. I didn't really know it that way, but that's what they explained to me later. But for three months, I had people reach out to me almost everywhere I went and talk to me about Jesus. And so uh, it was really annoying. There were annoying Christians talking to me about Jesus at the store, wherever I would go. And one uh, one night, um, one thirty, two o'clock in the morning, again, I was sober for about a week, but I was not for those years. I was really into drugs and alcohol for for my youth. But I walked into my bedroom. I sat down on the floor. And I realized I was something was happening that th- these people were talking to me about Jesus. And so I said to God, I prayed I, this is one of the first times I remember ever praying I said, if you're real, I need you to show me that you're real. I'll, I'll believe you and I'll give you my life if you can show up. After I said that, I felt what I not, now know is the manifest presence of God. I felt the presence of God fill my room. And I had a series of memories in my mind that rolled through, kind of like scrolling through the photos on your phone. And I heard the voice of the Holy Spirit say to me, I love you and I always have. And it was like God spoke over all of my memories, all of my moments, all of my bad decisions, that even in the midst of that, he was there and he loved me. And I cried. I cried for a long time. And I was the I was on the once a year plan for crying. I, I, my heart didn't get touched easily. I was a hard, hardened person and my, my heart broke and God touched my life. And I woke up the next day and I w- walked outside my house and the sky was blue and the grass was green. And it was like I had never seen anything in color. And now all of a sudden everything came into HD. Three days later, I saw my dad for the first time after I'd made the commitment to Christ and had that moment with God. He looked at my face and he said, you gave your life to Jesus, didn't you? Wow. He said, Mm. my countenance changed that much. He could see the anger and the hate and all that was in me, was Mm. on me. He said it was gone. And he he just saw it in my face. And so I had a real transformation in in that moment. And that was just the beginning, obviously, but it was very powerful. Sure. What did your mom say? My mom said the same thing. Uh, They both rejoiced. I would see them crying. With joy. Their crying in pain went from tears of joy. Yeah, yeah. And all of a sudden, our relationship changed. I wanted to sit with them. I'd sit down on the couch and start talking to them, which was new. I wanted to shy away previously, and now I wanted to engage with, and everything changed, I mean, from that moment. Well, Ben, uh, let's take a little detour here just for a second, and that is just to encourage parents who are praying for their kids to don't give up. Amen. Right. That's right. I mean, for you, it was from age 12 to age 19, Mm -hmm. seven years Mm -hmm. of seeing your kid go through hell, Mm -hmm. you know, basically watching their physical presence just diminish. Yeah. But then it's it's God, really. Did your mom and dad really bug you about drugs and alcohol? I mean, they probably made a sense a few things, but they caught me a few times. They knew I was going down that road. They they they. 
they had more than evidence to right. know that it was really bad. And right. so that's why they really started to pray. I found out later they were really praying yeah. and asking God to do yeah. something. Yeah. And those prayers will not go unanswered. I, I guess that we just want to encourage parents that are listening right now that uh, the Lord has a way to speaking to a heart that you can't, you know, mm-hmm. as a parent. And those prayers are, are valuable. So what happens next at 19 years old and you just uh, get a fresh experience with the Lord? What goes on in your head then? Well, the first thing that happens is I want to tell everybody about Jesus. <laughs> Uh-huh. And, of course, the crowd that I was running with didn't want to hear anything about Jesus. So within a probably a six-month time frame or so, pretty much every friend I had left me and thought I was crazy. And, and I probably was. I was just crazy in love with Jesus. And I hadn't at that point been baptized with the Holy Spirit or filled with the Spirit. I didn't know what that meant, but I went to a Bible study of a friend of mine who actually had a similar encounter with God. He had committed his life to Jesus right around the same time I had, and he wasn't a friend and a close friend until that point. But I went to a Bible study that he had and a friend of ours had just gotten out of prison, a guy that we were acquainted with just to kind of give you an idea of who we were running with at the time. Uh He gets out of prison. He starts talking to us about the Holy spirit. And I, I, I didn't know anything about what he was talking about. So at the end of the Bible study, he starts to pray and he starts to pray in other languages and, and, you know, speaking in tongues. It, it was just odd, to be honest with you, but I felt something happen to me. I already thought I was on fire for Jesus. I thought I loved Jesus, and I did. But I had the Holy Spirit touched me in a way that was is somewhat indescribable. I, I, I just I felt the presence of God again. But I was motivated to go share the love of God in a way that I, I wasn't even in that period of time prior to that. And that launched me just to go. I mean, I was everywhere telling people about Jesus. We, From that point on, uh, that moment where I know I was baptized in the Holy Spirit, I started out on you know Occidental Park down in Seattle. I would go to Capitol Hill. Every Saturday, we gave our Saturday just to reach people. Didn't matter where I was, gas station, bowling alley or even the workplace, I was just talking to people about Jesus. Got in trouble a lot, didn't have good tact, <laughs> lacked a lot of wisdom. Mm-hmm. I've learned a lot since then, but I still have the passion uh, to bring people to Jesus and Jesus to people. It's, it was my passion that was born out of those two moments. But I followed a long road of, of being involved in ministry and churches and everything you can think of from prison ministry to streets to being a youth pastor and so on. It's just a long story of just getting involved and wanting people to know and love Jesus. Then formal education happened after that? I, I did engage formal education for, for a period of time. Um, but what stopped that, I didn't end up finishing that. And the reason is because at 23 years old, I met a beautiful woman named Bridget Dixon who had, a uh, at the time, 8- and 10-year-old. And I was going to Bible college. I was working 30 hours a week, and I was a youth pastor at a church. When I met her, we got married fairly quickly because I had to make a commitment. Either these are going to be my boys and I'm going to raise this family or I'm not. And so we actually ended up closing that church down that I was a part of and transitioned to a larger church. And I had to make a decision to go into full-time career, which I did. I went into full-time real estate business, started a real estate business, and I had to shut down all formal education um, and gave up the idea of vocational ministry because I just couldn't earn enough money to raise a family. At 24 years old, married my wife, and I had a 9- and 11-year-old son, which meant that I had to make a decent living. <laughs> we did, I didn't get 
much of an on-ramp mm-hmm. for that. And so my business, I always wanted to go back to formal education, but my business took off. And so you, I was try, always trying to catch up. It was it was going great. We, me and my family members, we did whole house flips. So we did about 20 of those together. And, and again, when you're running a business and it just grows and grows and grows, you just give up on certain things. So so didn't pursue the path of formal education, but I read every book I could get my hands on and was involved in ministry, starting ministries, reaching people with the gospel, and that's kind of how that path went. So, Well, tell me about uh, Bridget and becoming a dad to young sons mm-hmm. at 24 years old. I don't know where to start or stop. Uh, I really f- believe that God gave me one of the greatest blessings of my life to be able to raise two boys that were not mine. And they had two different fathers. My wife was a single mom who'd never been married, and she did not grow up in a Christian home. She has a, she has a pretty difficult past that um, a lot of choices that she didn't make but were made for her and against her, I should say. So she was raising two boys by herself, and as God brought us together, um, you know, I got to be probably the first man that ever treated her well. That's actually a fact. Mm-hmm. And she had not known that in her past. Um, and also, uh, the boys would pray every day for a dad, and I became the fulfillment of their prayers. And it's pretty sobering to think that here I am, the answer to a prayer of a nine-year-old who's been praying since he was two. Entered into that at 24 and felt like I'm going to be the best dad I can. We had hard times, but, uh, but God was faithful, and he helped show me how to be a man, how to be a father, how to be a husband. And... Um, and and again, it's a long story, but um, it's a, I'm grateful. I'm grateful for all that God has has done. I, I have great relationships with both of these boys. They're twenty um, twenty six and twenty four right now. Mm-hmm. One of them's a youth pastor at a previous church that we were a part of, and the other one, uh, not long ago, got out of the army. He was infantry and stationed in Germany. So it was a, uh, Bridget's. An amazing woman half the time, I don't think she needs me around. I always say, like Tim Hawkins says, I'm a catcher in T-ball. You know, I'm just not needed <laughs> very right. often. So, <laughs> right. uh, but we we do life together, and she's she's incredible. She's a rock, you know. So you're a part of churches. Mm-hmm. You, you think in your mind, in a 23-year-old's mind, that probably at some point you're going to continue on in vocational ministry due to due to just the Lord's leading and life circumstances, now you're in business. Was there still that that issue in your heart where you thought, did I miss the mark? Am I in business and should be in ministry? Was there that tension going on in your own heart? There, there was, and I think that I just took ministry to business. I think that's kind of how it happened. So for me, I felt like I was always ministering to people in my business. So I'm sharing the gospel with all kinds of folks. I'm interacting with probably more people in business than I, than I was even in ministry and new people all the time. So that longing to be in ministry wasn't there vocationally. And I was, I was making great money. I was building a business. It was growing rapidly. I was able to employ people. All of that was happening and it was, it was awesome. But I, there was this thing in the back of my mind, like, I want to help build churches. I want to help plant churches. I had that in the back of my mind. And so instead of planting a church in 2007, I believe it was, it might have been 2006, I can't quite remember now. Um, but we planted a ministry called Ignite Global Ministries. And what it was, was we wanted to help just disciple the church and, and some of the areas that maybe 
you're not going to hear from a Sunday, just developing discipleship resources, um, really helping people understand spiritual gifts. And, uh, I was writing materials. I was writing curriculum just in spare time. Cause, cause I didn't do the formal education. I was reading every book I could and I needed outlets. So I started writing and, uh, writing this curriculum. We just started some meetings in our homes and it got too big for our home. In 2006 or seven, we started a meeting in our home and we had 30, 40 people the second month. So then we moved them to the chapel at our church and it outgrew the chapel in our church. We had well over a hundred real quickly. And then we moved into the sanctuary and then we would regularly have hundreds of people from all different churches in 2007 coming to Mill Creek Foursquare where, where we were attending and we were members and it was growing and we were discipling people and um, it just didn't feel intentional. So, you know, fast forward a few years, this, the, the pastors on staff, they wanted me to come on staff so that I could do full time what I was doing part time and was successful. And they wanted to see that happen throughout the fabric of the church, mm -hmm. which is what brought me back to vocational ministry was not the, just the desire in me, or it wasn't a plan that I had or seeking it out, it was, I was asked by the staff pastors at Mill Creek Foursquare, Chris Manginelli, the senior pastor at the time said, would you come on staff and just build a discipleship plan, a process for our church in our ministries and just do what you're already doing full time. And that's what brought me back to vocational ministry about nine years ago, almost now. Yeah. Your life has a message to it in the sense of, and you were just speaking about it now, and that is that some people, especially in the Christian community, if they've been there a long time, see the, the role of a pastor or full-time vocational ministry as kind of the, the ultimate thing to do, right? Right. And you kind of reach the top of the ladder, if you will. But the reality is business owners, construction workers, secretaries, home care workers, they all can be pastors in the sense of leading Amen. and discipling people, can't they? That's right. Absolutely. And, and, you know, if just because the church doesn't sign your paycheck, if you will, in vocational ministry doesn't mean that you are not pastoring people. That's right. I just say that as a word of encouragement to people that you don't have to be in that vocational role in order to be ministering to people and discipling people for sure. So you're become a staffer back at Mill Creek Foursquare. Right. Associate pastor. Yep. Yeah. Associate yep. pastor. And what happens next? The role they hired me for was a bit ambiguous. Uh, right up front, that's what they told me. And so I started to build the mission, vision, values alongside the senior pastor. Who are we? What do we do? And how do we do it? We built that mission statement together. And then the goal was to weave it throughout the fabric of the entire church from children to adults. How do we help make disciples in every area of our church that then go and make disciples? That was my job. My job was to visioneer and steer this focus that we had as a church. And so I got involved in pretty much everything and ended up alongside our senior pastor, leading the staff and building ministries and trying to build out the church where there was more, um, people from the church could participate more, serve more and really grow, um, in our, in our church together to what we would see in Ephesians chapter four, that our job was to equip the saints for the work of ministry. That's that, basically what I did. Mm -hmm. And, um, 
And so you name it, I did it. I wrote materials. I, I led classes. I preached up front. I, and then um, four years into it, they recognized that I had a regional call. It wasn't just for the church. What I was do- producing was f- to be, go beyond the church. So they brought me up front, laid hands on me, commissioned me as an itinerant to to take what I was building in the church and bring it to other churches. And so I started traveling around and they paid me full time and I would work there full time. But then twice a month or more, I would go and minister at other events, conferences, seminars, camps. And the church really just commissioned me to go and do that, recognizing that the call of God for that was on my life. And so it was kind of an interesting hybrid role at that point. And it grew, which is why I wrote some of my books and, and new people far beyond our region and started traveling nationally, internationally, done all kinds of stuff, mm-hmm. hundred camps. I've done, you name it. I've, I've done it, preached at it, ministered at it, know, know a lot of churches and beyond. So this is sort of what it grew into. And it benefited our church as I came and went, it benefited our church to see that happen and really to receive the benefit from it. Well, we're speaking with Ben Dixon, and uh, he is now the senior pastor of the Northwest Church here in Federal Way. Uh, ben, we've got about three minutes left, and uh, I think if it's okay with you, we're we're going to continue your story in part two of, uh, on our next edition Absolutely. of Heart of the City. But as kind of a final question, some of the books that you've written, you had mentioned a book uh, to me earlier about hearing the voice of God. That's right. So talk to me about that for a minute and why you wrote that book and what some of the principles are. I wrote the book and I tell everybody the same, I give everybody the same answer. I wrote the book because I started my Christian life by hearing the voice of God, not knowing that was a thing or that was something that other people even had happened to them. And my journey just kind of went down the road where how I started as a Christian is how I was sustained as a Christian. My intimate relationship with Jesus is what I've also sought to help other people walk in. And when I began meetings and um, discipleship materials, I really was drawn to helping people grow and foster this relationship with, with God that we say people can have. We always say you can have a personal relationship with Jesus, but not often is that taught in a way where people know what it means. So I started writing curriculum, teaching classes, and we would have lots of people go to those classes over, over the years. And I realized at some point I had a book and I just basically took that, those materials, that curriculum, those preaching notes, and I put them into a book and synthesized it in, into an understandable way. And the, the principles of the book are, how does God communicate to us? What, what is his voice like? I mean, how can we discern the voice of God? And also, what's the role of the Bible? I mean, we obviously don't hear God in his voice doesn't contradict the scriptures. So how do we hear the voice of the Holy spirit and what's the role of scripture in that? And so I, cause there are a lot of strange things out there where people will say they heard the Holy spirit and that's the, the Bible doesn't agree with that. And so it really does help people have a foundation of the word of God and the voice of the Holy spirit and how they work together. So these are the principles of the book, and at this point we have it in three languages. Going into the fourth, we're going into Korean, and I think we have at least uh, 30,000 copies out paperback, maybe 15,000 out in ebook. I thought maybe 2,000 would get out there, but we're, 
we're farther down the road than I thought we would be with this book. So it's exciting. Well, Ben, uh, like I say, we'll get into part two on next week's program. But um, hearing the voice of God, I've done several interviews with lots of people. And it's always fascinating to me to hear how God speaks to people in so many unique ways. Obviously, the Word of God, the Bible, is critical. And it is the Word of God, and it is the Bible, and it is the Holy Scripture. But there are times in the private areas, in our bedrooms, in our rooms, where the Lord begins to just challenge our hearts and says, I love you. Mm -hmm. I I love you. Mm -hmm. And he is faithful in doing that, isn't Mm -hmm. he? He is. And, And he is speaking to us in so many ways. And for us to be able to so often it, we don't hear his his still small voices because our hearts are so hard. But when our hearts begin to open up like he did with you, mm-hmm. when your heart began to say, Lord, I just, uh, I, if you're real, I'll, I'll take it. That's right. And, and he'll speak. He'll reveal himself. Mm-hmm. And that is the faithfulness of God. It truly is. Ben, well, thank you for joining me today on Heart of the City. We're going to take part two next week. If you want to hear more of the interviews with Ben and others that we've interviewed on Heart of the City, you can go to thewordseattle.com, click on the local programs link, and listen to the podcast. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you. You've been listening to this 820 AM, The Word special, Heart of the City. For more information on how your pastor or your ministry can be featured on 820 AM, The Word, call Chuck Olmstead. 206-269-6216 or go to thewordseattle.com Three-star general Michael J. Flynn head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency knew all the government's dirty secrets He was one of the most respected generals in the military Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to He understood its funding He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors This set off alarm bells The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.